how's it going? Well, um, it feels good to be able to do this. No one can see it, but... I know, but cheers. we're in the same room. We're in the same room. We're getting... We're recording live. Yep. We're looking at each other without miles and miles and miles of space between us. And without, like, a um, computer screen between us. It's pretty crazy. It is. But and I like it. The wall's not falling on me. No. <laughs> <laughs> Your cat isn't destroying things. No. You know what I noticed? You know, you pointed out that, and y'all won't be able to see this, but it's fine. Just go with it. Um, you know how you pointed out that you can see into your bedroom from that door? Uh-huh, through this window also. Through that window. And also, there's a tiny little window in the top of the bathroom that also looks into your bedroom. Oh, thank God. I'm just going to run around butt-ass naked every time I'm in that room. So, you're going to get a good show this week. I'm glad I chose the bay windows. <laughs> So yeah, we are here together, and we were like, let's record something. So here we are. I'm super stoked. Yeah. It's actually a little strange. It like, is weird. You and I have been together a lot, but yeah. never like at work, I said in air True. quotes. For the, you know, like we said, tens and tens of dollars. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Lifetime Citizens. Yeah. That's Patreon.com. <laughs> oh, man. So tell me what's good, Erin. I mean, I'm off an airplane. That's what's good. It's true. You've spent an eternity on an airplane. I did. I did indeed spend an eternity on, on an airplane. And then tomorrow morning, we're going to get up and like go see everything. Everything. All of DC. We're going to yep. look at it all at all, once. The whole thing. And we're going to like eat food and like drink alcohol and eat more food. And it's going to be so much fun. Those are my two favorite things. Eat food mm -hmm. and drink alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, and we started... I want to say we started early, but it was 4.30 today. We'd also, we've also been awake since 4.30 this morning, so I, we didn't actually start early. Yeah, I've been awake for... 16 hours. Yep. You're welcome. <laughs> and now I'm going to finish this bottle of champagne and that other one in the fridge and go to sleep. Yes. Um, <laughs> I may fall asleep while we're recording, if I'm being honest. Well, you have to go second at least, so... That's true. That's not fair. That's not fair. Today, let's switch it up. Let's start with the real cake. No, no, no. Just the second half is me just snoring directly into a microphone. <laughs> it's ASMR. We're doing an ASMR podcast That's this true. week. It's true. It's true. You know, I um, just feel like really excited to be here and like be doing this. It's so much fun. And I'm excited. So, that's all. Well, good to know. And I'm on vacation. We're on vacation. I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. Just kidding. I just deleted Outlook from my phone. Listen, you, you do what you can to survive. It's true. Yeah. So are we just going to put off, keep putting off discussing this horrible story? Well, this guy is literally a piece of shit. Oh, totally. Wrapped up in an actual dog turd mm -hmm. and then sprinkled with cow manure. True so. story. True story. He's the fucking worst. Um. So let's scream about it, shall we? Um, we can't scream too loudly. There's a caveat on our Airbnb that says, please respect your neighbors. And I'm like, I don't respect myself. The Capitol so. building is like all the way down the block. They can't hear us. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Not to triangulate our location, but y'all, we can see the the Capitol building from our front, la front lard. <laughs> <laughs> I just love to stay on my front lard and just look at the Capitol all day long. This is going to be a high quality episode, I'm telling you. <laughs> high 
quality. I've already had three glasses of bubbly tonight. I don't know how many I've had. I don't care. <laughs> we just, it's like we thought someone was going to fill this out for us <laughs> as we took drinks in tandem. <laughs> Where's Franny? She's not here yet. <laughs> no, but this week you will get to hear from research assistant Fran. Yes, we are going to do kind of an interesting thing, I think, next week with our regular episode. Yeah. We're just going to sit around and chat and talk about cases and things, and Fran's going to be with us, and yeah, it's going to yeah. be fun. Oh, also, shout out to Amanda for giving us the bubbly. Shout out to Amanda for the bubbly. You're the real MVP. Always. So. Um, also, Amanda is not only our dear friend and our mom most days, because we need, we need adult supervision. All the time. Um, but she runs the funniest Twitter account, Lifetime Sentence Out of Context. Yes. And I think y'all should hop over there, because it is a fun little gem every time we get tagged in it. I forget that we say this bullshit. It is really fun, and I just really can't believe that no one but you heard me say that when I was threatening to eat the bunny. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, isn't this so cute? You're like, I'm going to fucking eat it. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all, okay. I got on a plane this morning at, I got up this morning at 4.30. I got on a plane at 6.25. I hadn't eaten all day. I stayed on the same plane all day. I didn't, my, my layovers, I didn't even get off, get up, get to get off the plane. I landed here at three o'clock. Then we waited for Amanda. And so it was like 4.30. And then we were like, I was like, literally whatever you put in front of me, I will throw down on. And she Just meant take it. take me somewhere. Because I showed her a picture of a cute bunny, and she was like, I'm going to eat that goddamn bunny. And I was like, that's not the reaction I expected here. I mean, it was cute, but I was hungry. Sorry. Ugh. I have to talk about this douchebag now, don't I? Yes. All right. This week I watched Romeo Killer, the Chris Porco story. It stars Matt Barr. He plays Chris. Um, he's from the Hatfields and McCoys, Blood and Treasure, and The Layover. Okay, I've heard of two of these mm-hmm. works. Okay. Eric McCormack, who plays himself. Oh, Eric McCormack. You will know him from Will and Grace and the movie that we covered previously, Who is Clark Rockefeller? Yeah. Um, Lolita Davidovich. She plays Joan Porco. She is from Hollywood Homicide, Blaze, The Longest Ride, Adventures in Babysitting, Right Before Christmas, The Good Witch, Paris Wine and Romance. She's in all the movies. Oh, yeah, apparently. hmm So, we open on a guy expounding upon why he loves girls. And I'm already grossed out. I'm done. I don't see anything wrong with this. Um, then he talks about how he loves both of his parents equally, but he knows his mom would do anything for him. And so we cut to a house. It's fall in Del Mar, New York. Okay. The- Real quick, I know that this is like a serious movie, but A, I've been binge watching The Office again. So I just imagine that this is like a a Michael Scott talking head, Mm -hmm. talking about how much he loves women Mm -hmm. and he loves his parents equally, but his mom a little bit more. It's kind of based on like, it's kind of like based around like it's a Dateline type show. Yeah. So... Oh, so the police come for a wellness check, which we can see through a pair of glasses that is stained with blood. Um, the police officer finds, well... Not wellness? A dead body. <laughs> That's not what you want to find on a wellness no. check. Three hours away, Chris is going for his morning run. A girl stops him as he's getting into his Jeep, and he takes his shirt off. Then he convinces the girl he's talking to 
to flush him, which is weird. Yeah, it's tit for tit, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) I like me on three glasses of bubbly. I do, too. (laughs) Go grab that other bottle. Um, So... Eric McCormack arrives to find quite a scene. There's a dead body downstairs and a woman who is so unfortunately still alive. Oh no. Oh no. Covered in blood upstairs. Chris is at his dorm room and FaceTiming with his girlfriend? Question mark? His roommate comes home and he says it's super weird that he hasn't been able to reach his parents all day. Oh my god. I love when I fake that I can't reach my parents. Uh-huh. But usually it's just because I don't want to talk to them. Yeah. So, his girlfriend comes, like, she had left the screen, and she comes back, and she's like, um, something's happening at your house. There are cops all over the place. And back at the crime scene, um, Peter Porco, we Pick find... Pick a pack of pickle peppers. Yes, is the the murder victim and Joan his wife is barely clinging to life these are Chris's parents okay Chris gets in his jeep and rushes home and I this right here I wrote oh my god I know this story because Mr. Porco despite his injuries got up that morning got dressed like tried to make breakfast and even went out to the front yard and got a paper before he literally dropped dead from his wounds he just got up yeah and like tried to get dressed that morning because the body is fucking yeah. Um, so Chris goes to the hospital and flirts his way into his mom's locked hospital room. He flashes back to arguing with his parents where they confronted him about lying to him about his grades because he's been kicked out of school and all the debt he's racked up. The police come into the hospital room and ask for a word and we go back to Chris's interview where he says he was actually relieved to see Eric McCormack at first. Um, Eric tells Chris that... Hey, who wouldn't be relieved to see Eric McCormack, though? Well, if he was a um, detective and I killed my parents, I wouldn't be. Well, I mean, there's that. But you just said he plays Eric McCormack, so I'm just, like, sure. picturing being in the room with Eric yeah. McCormack. Um, Eric tells Chris that they sent a group to talk to his frat brothers, and they're all under the impression that Chris is rich. And it turns out Chris is up shit creek because in her dying breaths, his mother told Eric that it was him that attacked her. Oops. Yikes. Or so I thought. Can you, can you imagine? No. Can you imagine? No. No. We'll get into other things I can't imagine later. Guys, don't kill your parents. Don't do it. First of all, it's so messy. You don't get any inheritance. I don't like to get that. Not that I'm going to get inheritance. Like, I I don't, don't think I've got some kind of manner that's going to be passed down with iron gates that you have to drive through to meet a servant. No. Paul's actually on his way to becoming a real housewife of Shreveport. (laughs) (laughs) No, that is true. That is true. Okay, so... Chris keeps insisting he didn't do it, and also, crazy story, Eric McCormack's daughter is Chris's girlfriend. Oh. That's a twist I didn't see coming. And I want to say girlfriend? Question mark? Right. <laughs> um, so Chris storms out, but they impound his Jeep. So now we're back in the interview where Chris and his friends are talking shit about Eric McCormack, and I have never. I would never. Back in the past, Eric calls his 
Oh, sorry. Chris calls his girlfriend, Melanie, and gets her on board to tell her parents that he could have never killed his parents. Never, ever, ever, ever. Eric McCormack doesn't believe her. Um, he tells Melanie to stay away from Chris, but she is not having it. Since this is the third girl I've seen Chris talking to in 10 minutes, I don't think he takes their relationship all that seriously anyway. I mean, to be fair, it's called the Romeo Killer. Yeah. Which is a stupid name. We're going to get into oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, there is no evidence in his Jeep, so Eric McCormack is back to square one, which apparently is having his techs take the Jeep completely apart. I mean, what is square one for you? I don't know. Actual work? <laughs> When you're going to have other people do pointless things. (laughs) So now they're interviewing his other girlfriend, Rachel, who talks about their long distance relationship while I roll my eyes. Um, Chris takes his mom a rosary and talks to her about the funeral. The dismantling of Chris's Jeep also reveals absolutely zero evidence. So Chris comes to pick it back up and speeds off. Meanwhile, Chris gets suspended from school He goes and tells another woman who thankfully looks at him as her son and not her girlfriend. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's a nice change. Um, Unless there's some, something going on. So (laughs) he tells her that when this is all over, he's going to sue the city of Del Mar and the university. So there, and God, he's so annoying. He's like the textbook definition of like, my daddy will hear about this yeah mm-hmm. like sperry top ciders and yeah. pastel polo uh-huh. shirts yep. yeah my daddy will hear about this or he would if I hadn't murdered him with an axe <laughs> right damn it he um, pulls out a Ouija board to tattle I keep forgetting and then I murder him <laughs> so um he asks the girl if he can stay with her for a while and so she lets him move in they interview her and she says that she loves him like a son Chris goes to visit his mother again, who has woken up and just yells at her about how the DA and Eric McCormack want to talk to her. They come in, and she just says a break-in when someone stole their computer, which happened years ago. So now they're going to go back and investigate this angle. So while we're talking to Rachel again, who says her parents really wanted her to distance herself from Chris, but she wanted to stand by her man. Okay, is that Loretta Lynn? Yeah. But Chris also started lying to her. He goes on to date yet another girl named Lauren. And in his interview, he tries to justify why he has multiple girlfriends. He talks to Lauren's mother about how it could have been the mafia. And because I, Lauren's mom is a reporter. I just picture his interview now being um, Regina George. Like, I can't, or Gretchen Wieners. Like, I can't help it that I'm so popular. Yeah. Exactly. So, um... Lauren's mother is a reporter, and this is why he's romancing Lauren 100%. So he is like, but, you know, it could have been the mafia. Um, So he tells her, like, all these other stories about who else it could have been. Like, they once saw a random person at the end of their driveway holding an axe, and I was like, that's not a thing. People don't do that. Um, 900% guarantee you they said he was black in real life. Like, I don't know this to be true, but, but like, is. you know, mm-hmm. that's this the lie that everyone spins. So. Or me- or Mexican. They don't even say Hispanic. or It's always Mexicans broke into my house. Right. So he tells Lauren's mom to cover those angles. Why doesn't she? Um, meanwhile, Rachel breaks up with Chris. Chris starts working with Betsy, the lady who um, he's moved in with. At is her- it Betsy DeVos? 
It could be. That would explain a lot. Mm-hmm. Sorry, this is now the alcohol getting to me. That would explain literally nothing. <laughs> I just fucking hate um, that bitch. Lauren shows him the story that her mom wrote about the case. Um, and so he tells her that he loves her, naturally. Um, Eric McCormack confronts Lauren's mom and tells her about all the loans that Chris had forged his parents' name on, as well as how he, I guess, he broke into the registrar's office and changed his grades? Yes. That's a real thing. Chris's mom finally starts to regain some strength, and Betsy goes to see her to talk about how Chris is such a great kid, the most perfect kid in all the land. And we flash back to Chris arguing with his parents again about forging his father's signature on a loan application and on the loan for his Jeep that he's not paying for. Um, So, I mean, that's a lot of accidents to have. Haven't you ever accidentally signed your dad's name to several documents in a row? No, but I know someone who has. I I know too. (laughs) So, Melanie tells the interview about how they found Joan's computer in San Diego because Chris had sold it on Craigslist. Um, Eric McCormack goes to see Melanie in a super dark indoor pool. Oh, no, sorry, not Eric. Chris goes to see Melanie in a super dark indoor pool, which was very cruel intentions of everyone. Right. Um, He asked Melanie to go get his mother's laptop back for him out of police evidence. Can you? The audacity. I know. Because, quote, it's what his mother would want. I just wrote, bro. Fucking dare you. (laughs) I'm I'm done. I'm going to leave. Let me know when this is over. Also, Melanie, I don't want to be bossy, but you're right next to the swimming pool. So, like, maybe get away from there. (laughs) Um, He tries to hook up with her, but she pushes him off and says she won't steal evidence for him and she will not be one of his girls. And then she jumps back in the pool. He jumps in after her and they mess around a little in the water, like play fight. And then he tries to convince her again to steal the computer, saying that he'll break up with everyone else. And it, what's no. this guy's appeal? Does he have a magic penis? What is happening? It's made of solid gold. It's the Midas dick. That sounds very uncomfortable. Listen, you wouldn't understand. That's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> so they have sex in the pool, and then Chris gets arrested. Bummer. Um, back in his interview, Chris talks about how he made poor choices, but he definitely didn't kill his dad. And they interrogate him about he who... They interrogate him, and he continues to insist that he did not mean to forge a $30,000 loan in his father's name. That kind of stuff just happened. We were on a break. Mm -hmm. So, Melanie leaves her dad's to go stay with a friend, and we cut to Chris in court. Betsy and Joan arrive to much gasping and fanfare. I just can't. Um, Joan takes the stand, which is weird at a bail hearing. Um, She reads a statement that she does not believe Chris was the one who attacked her um, and asked the court to release him on bail. Um, so the entire prosecution, which was resting on this eyewitness that has now decided to side with her son, is shot to hell. Right. Um, even though Eric McCormack swears it's not. <laughs> Joan also moves in with Chris and Betsy. Chris promise, promises to take good care of her. Um, she flashes back to Chris's dad telling her that he thinks Chris is a sociopath, and so do I. Um, of course, she was appalled by this accusation and says, Chris just has a problem with money, and they're going to help him through that. I am, yeah, that's, that's sociopathy. I mean, if anyone has 
$30,000 they want to give me, I also have a problem with money. Right. I don't have enough of it. That's my problem. Do you also have multiple girlfriends no. and convince random girls to flash you outside? No. Okay, then we really need to talk about your problems with money because they're not <laughs> severe enough. <laughs> um, so now Eric McCormack has to prove that Chris was in two places at the same time, according to the DA. So Eric goes to talk to Chris's roommate, Brody. And Brody finally admits that Chris did not sleep in the lounge the night his parents were attacked, like he said he did. So now we are cooking with gas. Um, on his way out, Eric notices some security cameras. And the video shows Chris getting in his Jeep at 1036 and driving away. While Eric is doing all of that, Chris is making out with his daughter on the front porch. <sighs> Charming. Um, I guess she's back home now. Eric tells Melanie not to trust Chris, and she's just like, why are you doing this to me? Like, she's the victim of something. I mean, she is a victim, but it's not what she thinks it Yeah, is. she's not a victim of her father. Um, so Eric is finally able to put together a timeline of what happened the, the night. Um, Chris's lawyer responds by having the toll tickets that were Chris's removed from evidence or trying to. Okay. Melanie, meanwhile, catches Chris with Lauren. He tries to talk himself out of trouble, but it does not go well. Back in his interview, Chris talks about how men just need to sow their wild oats, which is such bullshit. I can't even, don't even get Also, dude, you're like 19. Like, that's something like a 42-year-old says whenever he's having a midlife crisis and decides Mm -hmm. he wants to cheat on his wife. But, like, you're 19. Just go sleep around. Like, that's allowed at 19. But don't, don't have multiple partners who haven't agreed to this yeah don't have multiple partners that all think you're in a monogamous relationship with them right it's bad news bears um chris's other girlfriend rachel also turns on him um chris arrives at the dorm with yet another girl to intimidate his roommate what a little twat um he goes to talk to his mom on his way to court she watches him leave and then she flashes back to her attack and it's time for the trial chris's lawyer calls the case an abomination Rachel testifies against him about how he would constantly forget his key in the door like they found at the the crime scene um, the morning of the attack. Brody, the roommate, comes through and Chris's attorney pokes a flimsy at best hole in that story. So, you know, Chris was trying to intimidate him from testifying against him and he decided to do it anyway. Right. So, um, good for him. He was trying to intimidate him with girls? No, he, like, he arrived with a girl at the frat house slash dorm, whatever. Okay. Went inside and was like, "Man, why would you do something such a thing to me? You know, oh, you know, yeah. How how drunk okay. were you? It was very like you were raped, and I'm now try to tell you that you weren't really. It was very ternary. <laughs> yeah. Okay. weren't How drunk were you? What were you wearing? How much pot did you smoke? Right. Yeah. God. So." Chris swears to Lauren that he was in the lounge that night, but maybe he was with a girl. He doesn't remember. Um, Now we get to Betsy, who attests to the fact that Chris could clean up a crime scene if he needs to because he's so meticulous about cleaning up the vet clinic, which is not the point she was trying to make, but she made it. Can Can you imagine if the defense is like, we call our airtight alibi Betsy... And Betsy's like, <laughs> Betsy's like, oh my God, yeah, he really could clean up anything. I watched him one time 
get rid of pig's blood and my house was sparkling brand new. My white carpet was back to white. There were stains I didn't even know were there that he got out. <laughs> Basically. Um, so Joan is finally going to have her day in court to testify. Um, she and Chris walk in together while people take pictures. Joan stands up for Chris again. So Chris's lawyer goes after Eric and the DA, etc. Annoying, but I guess he's doing his job. Um, closing arguments, blah, blah, whatever. Chris and Eric McCormack end up in the same bar after court. Chris buys Eric a shot of scotch, but Eric takes it back over to his table and tells him there's no such thing as the perfect crime and then leaves the shot on the table and leaves. Look at you, Eric McCormack. Oh, so the jury comes back and we run through everyone that they that they've been interviewing saying whether they kind of whether they think they he did it or not chris is sure that because the jury came back so quickly he will be acquitted but he's wrong um he's found guilty of first degree murder and attempted murder everyone gasps and cries they handcuff chris and take him away his his lawyer's like Wah, i'm crushed Wah. Back in prison, Chris is giving another interview talking about how his mother's love gets him through. We flash back again to the crime, and this time, when Chris's mother turns on the bedroom light, a look of recognition passes over her face before the look of fear. Oh. Yeah. Um, what a good detail. Uh -huh. Quote, Christopher Porco was sentenced to 50 years to life at the Clinton Correctional Facility, a maximum security prison in upstate New York. He has exhausted all of his appeals. Joan Porco says, quote, I believe him to be innocent with all my heart, end quote. And that's the movie. Holy moly. Okay. All right. So, Aaron, I used a lot of resources. I used Wikipedia. I used Murderpedia. If there was an Edia, I used it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also used, I forgot to write it down, but at the end I'm going to talk about a completely different article that is related to this case um, that I think you will also find interesting. Awesome. So on Monday, November 15th, 2004, a New York State courts officer was ordered to the home of Peter and Joan Porco. Peter was a state appellate division court clerk. Did I say that right? I always stumble on that word. Yeah. Okay. Um, he had not reported to his office in Albany that morning. So upon entering their... Um, their beautiful two-story home in Del Mar, the officer discovered Peter's lifeless, blood-soaked body near the front door. Yikes. Yeah. An Albany County medical examiner determined that Peter, who was 52, had sustained massive head injuries causing his death. Joan Porco was soon discovered by the police officers. She was lying in um, her, her bed like her and her husband's bed it was drenched with blood and she'd suffered severe head and facial trauma joan eventually would go on to lose her left eye and a portion of her skull because of the trauma she received yeah a fireman's axe belonging to the porcos um was used in the attack and it was found in the couple's bedroom Oof. joan was rushed to the emergency room in bethlehem new york and um, New York police quickly focused their investigation on the younger of the Porco's two sons, Christopher, mm -hmm. who was a student at the University of Rochester, which was about 230 miles away. Yeah. I have seen this on um, Dateline, 48, I don't know. It was something. covered on everything. Yeah. 
I mean, the, the video is very clear when yeah. we get to it. Um, less than two hours after police arrived at the scene of the attack, an APB was put, put out for Christopher. Christopher Porco was at the University of Rochester when his parents were discovered. He was accidentally notified of the attack by a reporter at the Times Union who tried to call his roommate and question him about Chris's family. Could could we all just let the... How often do we say the media needs to back the fuck off? A lot. And I, you know... Police suck, and I don't want to, like, give them a point, but also, like, we got to let them try to do their job. Right. right? Sometimes. Right. Not all the time. Not when they're pulling over people that aren't doing anything wrong. That's a different story. Right. Um, So that evening, Chris returned to Del Mar and was questioned by Bethlehem police detectives about the attack. Mm -hmm. Christopher Bowdish, who was a police detective, stated that as medical personnel attended to Joan at her home, he took a moment to ask her if she could identify her attacker. Bowdish went on to say that when he asked Joan if a family member had done it, Joan used her head to indicate yes, like shook her head yes. Uh And then he maintains that when he asked her if it had been her older son, John, who was a naval officer stationed way off during the attack. Yeah, literally could not have been him. He was in a submarine. Right. (laughs) Um, She shook her head no, indicating that it wasn't him. But she shook her head up and down, yes, when he asked if it was Christopher. Mm -hmm. Um, So her alleged identification of Chris probably explains why the police pursued her son Mm -hmm. so quickly after the incident, rather than conducting a broader investigation of suspects. And that is one thing I will say, is that they did focus predominantly on him and that is something that we see in police work that needs to be addressed. That yeah. It's confirmation bias at, it at its finest. And while in this case it played out the most likely the correct situation. But you have to... I understand that, yes, that's the avenue of least resistance and the most likely thing. But if you don't investigate other avenues, you're giving the defense an end to poke holes in your story. That's exactly what I was about to say, is that a a defense attorney worth their salt will come after the the confirmation bias issue Mm -hmm. that is there. Like, if I am already pissed off at you, Erin, for something you did this morning, Mm -hmm. then everything you do after that will just piss me off. Right. That is how confirmation bias works. So if I am looking for you to screw up, I'm going to find you screwing up. Yeah. I know. I know you I know you know how it works. But like it's like police don't seem to realize well, that's how, how this works. works. <laughs> Listen. That Petty Paul exists Petty Paul. for a reason. He does. Um It's okay. I like Petty Paul. So this murder gained a lot of attention. Mhm. Um as Joan emerged from her medically induced coma to say that Christopher had nothing to do with her husband's murder. Um, so during videotape testimony that was submitted to the grand jury in December 2005, Joan testified about her family, but she did not identify Christopher as an attacker. Mm-hmm. Nine months later, she wrote a letter for publication in the Times Union about Christopher and said, quote, I implore the Bethlehem police and district attorney's office to leave my son alone and to search for Peter's real killer or killers so that he can rest in peace and my sons and I can live in safety. All right. But like, 
Yeah. Here's the thing. And I just... I'm, I don't want to say I'm just playing devil's advocate because that's not what I mean. But Okay, white guy. Huh? I said, okay, white guy. No. Um, <laughs> Chad. Okay, if you survived a brutal attack... You initially identified your child, whether you remember or not, that's what happened. Right. Um, and then you decide that he didn't do it because he never would, could have, would have, whatever. And then no one comes back to finish you off when this story goes, like, international. Right. Nothing happens. Really? Right. Like, you're just going to stick with the fact that these guys just, like, took the fuck off and were like, peace out. Right. Now, to try to see it from her side, because I really have tried to understand it from this side, that, A, we all know that in trauma, your brain will section off the traumatic portions. Mm -hmm. So it might be true that after her medically induced coma, she doesn't remember anything about the attack. Right. Um, But also... She already lost her husband that day. Yeah. And it could be her fault that she loses her son as well. And that there is a lot of complication tied up in that. Yeah. No, I get that. That I... Before I was a parent, I would think it's a lot more cut and dry than it is. I'm I'm not saying it's it's quite that gray area. No, but but I I know what you mean. I know what you mean, but also I feel like, in my heart of hearts, it has to be that she doesn't remember. It's got to be. Because even as much as I love my child, which is a lot. It is a lot. I can attest to that. It's at least 13 on a scale of 12. (laughs) Um, If he tried to kill me, I would have some trepidation about it, but I would eventually... Right. Because also, like, if he tried to kill me once, he might do it again. He might do it again. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So it was quickly revealed to news media that there had been tension between Christopher and his parents involving money money leading up to the attack. A series of emails was distributed through the press that showed this growing rift over loans that Christopher took out to pay for his tuition at University of Rochester, as well as to finance his new... Bright yellow Jeep Wrangler. Mm-hmm. Aaron, mm-hmm. if you're going... Look, I'm not telling criminals how to do their job. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to commit a fucking crime, mm-hmm. it needs to be in a champagne gold Ford Taurus. That's a fact. <laughs> like, like, why are you going to kill your mama in a bright yellow Jeep? You know... I try not to disparage people that drive bright yellow Jeeps as immediate douchebags because I know someone that drives a bright yellow Jeep sometimes (laughs) who's not an immediate douchebag. He can be, but not all the time. So, okay, okay, so 50-50? Well, like 60-40, but... uh, (laughs) I don't want to know which side. It's fine. I won't tell you. (laughs) Um, But, I mean... At least that's his, like, play car, not his, like, real car. Right. 
Because I feel like I feel some type of way about someone that drives a bright yellow Jeep all the time, even if you are in college. Yes, 100%. So following the fall 2003 semester, University of Rochester officials forced Christopher to withdraw because of poor grades. Yeah. When he was readmitted to the university the following year, he took out a loan for more than $30,000 to pay for his expenses. Oh, sure. To do this, he had to forge um, his dad's signature as a co-signer. Okay. Um, I was in college during this time. Uh-huh. And I guess I have no reason to question this because I had a similar thing happen to me, but reversed. Um, how are y'all not both in the same room? Right. But also, how was I not there? So, you know. Right. I don't know. Right. So, unbeknownst to his parents, Christopher was attempting to pay for his fall 2004 tuition with a portion of the $31,000 loan he received. A portion? The audacity. (laughs) Earlier in the fall, he told his parents he'd been readmitted to the school after the school determined that a professor had misplaced his final exam from the previous semester. And Peter and Joan were under the impression that their son's tuition would be covered by the college because of this mistake. Um, I try not to be a helicopter parent. I try very hard. You're very good at it. Like, at not helicoptering. I feel like if my child came home with some cockamamie story about how the university was going to pay his entire tuition because one professor lost a paper or whatever. Right. I'd follow up with the bursar's office. Maybe once. Maybe. Just, yeah. And these are both, like, college-educated parents. Like, his dad went through law school. So it's it's not like they didn't understand how college worked because, like, my parents would have never thought to follow up with the bursar's office because right. they don't know how college works. And that's not that's not a judgment. That's not anything negative about them. Just they just yeah. haven't had that opportunity. Right. But like... I feel like I would have made a call. Yeah. I'd just been like, hey, I just want to confirm because I'm the one that pays the bills around here and gets shit done. So if you're going to need a check, you're going to need to come to me. Right. So let me know. Call me back. So, less than two weeks before his murder, Peter confronted his son about his dishonesty in an email and reprimanded him. Ugh, my dad used to do stuff. Did you forge my signature as a co-signer? What the hell are you doing? You should have called me to discuss it. I'm calling Citibank this morning to find out what you've done and how, and I'm going to tell them I'm not going to be a co-signer. So, the next day, Peter was notified that Christian had also obtained a line of credit from Citibank to finance that Jeep Wrangler. Yeah. Um, so, once again, he wrote an email to um, Christopher, who had been avoiding answering the phone, like he hadn't been taking calls from Peter or Joan in weeks, which is why the emails were sent, because this is 2004 and five. Yeah. so texts were still a quarter to send. Uh-huh. If you had a phone, like if you were on one of the services that allowed texting. So I don't even know if you know this story. When I was in college, um, I started at college like three hours away from my parents. And then I moved back to San Antonio and went to UTSA. Right. But um, my second semester, um, I had a friend, <laughs> friend, who 
um, I do know this story. Slept over at my house one night and Uh stole my ATM card. She had memorized my PIN number and taken out, she took out like $250. And I don't even think it was my, I think it was like linked to my parents' account. I don't know. Right. Because I think maybe it it was my parents' account or it was linked to it because my mother called me before I even woke up the next morning screaming into my voicemail. I didn't answer right <laughs> about how I was stealing money from them and ironic um <laughs> and how like uh huh I was like a terrible child and I must be on drugs and I must be whatever blah 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 and I woke up and I was like okay I do a lot of dumb shit but I have literally no idea what you're talking about to the point where she was like well I'm gonna pull the ATM footage and then we can see okay and I was like okay I didn't steal anything from you so go for it. Um, and when I told my friend that, she, like, broke down and confessed. And then her parents came and took her home. Oh. Well, that's... That was that. One way for all this to play out. Mm-hmm. Um, one time... So, I used to bank with their, like, local bank. And they had a really shitty system because they're an East Texas local bank. Right. That if I swiped my card at the gas pumps... It would, like, hold... Because used to, like, in the early days of being able to swipe your card at the gas pump, they'd put a hold of $40 on your card to fill up, and then it would, like, reimburse. I got charged an overdraft fee every time it did that. And I didn't know. Because I was only putting the $7.50 that I had in my account to get to class. Right. And then one day, I put my... ATM card in the ATM to check my balance Mm -hmm. and it ate my card and never gave it back because that account was so overdrawn it was swallowed whole by the ATM I've never been more embarrassed in my entire life I bet and so then I wouldn't dare call my parents and tell them I had to call Dr. Sarah whom I had been dating uh we started dating in November. This was like that March. Ooh. Uh-huh. And say, can you You're like, loan hey, me? girl, I want to marry you. But, uh... Can you loan me some money so I can fucking drive home and yell at my bank? Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. So... But it must have worked out okay. I mean, I... So, here's the thing. I told her I'd pay her back one day. So she married me to see how long it's going to take me to pay back that $25. Have you paid her back? Absolutely not. <laughs> I told you I'm a real housewife of Shreveport. <laughs> okay, y'all, just so you can you can understand what we're talking about here. Paul got here and called his lovely wife, Dr. Sarah, who I adore, especially more now for putting up with you, <laughs> um, and told her, I'm not going back to work and I only fly first class now. <laughs> So if you need to take a second job, that's fine with me. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, sounds like you're going to be doing a lot of walking. Uh-huh. <laughs> She's a good woman. I love her to pieces. When literally earlier when, when she was like, oh, Texas is going to explode. Yeah. You were like, okay, well, Aaron's coming to live with us. And she was like, great. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I know that I say it all the time, but I won the lottery with her. You did. That she puts up with my bullshit. And she, she gives it right back. Like, she's very... 
quiet so people don't often get to see the times that she gives it right back but mm-hmm. like you're around enough that you oh, yeah. see it and that. she gives it right back but in this very like chill like unflappable way mm-hmm. and sometimes it's I, like when we were talking earlier and you're like she's so steady and just even just killed even killed all the time that if you really piss her off the, you better run. Well, hell's going to open up and swallow you whole because, yeah. like, <laughs> Satan's are like, yes, someone did it. <laughs> they pissed Sarah off. <laughs> I love that. So, She's the uh, best. I don't even know how we got here. Oh, ATM, your friend stole your money. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm back now. Um, so, this email that he sent because Christopher's not answering the phone, he's avoiding his parents. He's like, listen, I took out $90,000 in my parents' name. So, um, if they call, I died. $90,000. It was a lot of money. So, in an email, Peter warned Christopher that he would not tolerate any more dishonesty. Quote, I want you to know that if you abuse my credit again, I will be forced to file forgery affidavits in order to disclaim liability. That, and, and that applies to the Citibank college loan if you attempt to reactivate it or use my credit to obtain any other loan. In the same email, he went on... <laughs> he went on to welcome Christopher back to the family home to resolve the matter. He ended it by saying, We may be disappointed with you, but your mother and I still love you and care about your future. Maybe you should have just changed the locks. Yeah. But I get it. You're a parent. So while away on a trip to England in March of 2004, Christopher received an email from Jones. Okay, so it said from Jones' account. Okay, from her email account. Like, I couldn't figure out for just a second. Because the first time I thought it said her accountant. And then I was really confused as to why the accountant's getting in this. Right. Um, So he received an email that was sent from his mom's email address. um, Fussing at him for failing classes at Hudson Valley Community College in Troy, New York. I'm just picturing a... um, What is that? A howler? Yes. (laughs) Ronald Weasley! Ronald Weasley! (laughs) In the message, Joan Joan and Peter complained to their son... Quote, you just left and we can't believe our eyes as I look at your interim grade report. You know what they say, three strikes and you're out. Explain yourself. And the subject line was failing grades. You did it again. Okay. I am not victim blaming in the least bit. Right. But I feel like there are better ways to approach that with a child. Uh Uh-huh. Who's just, especially one that's grown up with everything paid for for him uh-huh. and is just learning like how to manage money on their own. Right. I mean, it does not justify him then not attacking all. them no. with an axe and murdering the dad, but I feel like there were better ways to go about it. 100%. Um, so several days later, Christopher replied to the message saying uh, he blamed the community college's office of registrar he wrote, but obviously they're incorrect. My lowest grade that I got on anything was a B on a physics test. Don't jump to conclusions. I'm fine. Um, and so he was able to get readmission into University of Rochester with a forged transcript from this community college um, where he did, in fact, break into the registrar's office and change his grade. That is insane. People so, be crazy. So just while I am... Um, 
talking about these forged transcripts, the judge over the murder trial Mm -hmm. refused to allow the forged transcripts to be submitted as evidence in their criminal case against Christopher Porco. Why? Because kids gonna be kids, am I right? I mean, but kids are gonna be kids until their parents die. (laughs) Right. And then, I feel like that's evidence, right? Am I wrong? So during the course of their investigation, police determined that he had a history of antisocial behavior that included burglarizing his parents' home. And I'm like, I don't know that I call that antisocial behavior. I call that lots of other things, but like antisocial behavior is when I go into my art room when people are at my house because I just don't want to deal with you. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, in 2005, Bethlehem police detectives traveled to San Diego to retrieve a laptop that Christopher had stolen from his parents on July 21st, 2003, during a break-in that occurred when he was home from college. So he staged a fake break-in so he could steal their shit and sell it. Yes, he did. They covered that in the movie. He sold the laptop. That la- was the laptop that the, the, uh-huh. they thought the mom was referencing, yeah. She uh, So he sold the laptop on eBay, and eight months earlier, on November 28, 2002, police contend that he'd also staged a burglary in which he took a Macintosh laptop and a Dell laptop computer. And I just want to know why this family has so many laptop computers. 2005, they were a lot more expensive. Well, the Dell probably doesn't work. That's true. It was just a paperweight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dude, you're getting a Dell. <laughs> Remember Gateways? Yeah. The cow? So a camera was reported missing from the burglar as well, and it was recovered from the front yard of their family home. One month before the attack, Christopher and Jonathan, both sons, they shared an... uh, Both of their eBay accounts had been frozen by eBay Mm -hmm. because they shared the same address... And Christopher had not sent several customers items that they'd paid for. Oh. So eBay froze all accounts oh, tied yeah. to that mm-hmm. address. Yeah, that makes sense. So trial testimony showed that on November 15th, 2004, um, the Porco family's secret code, like the PIN to disable the security system, sure. was used in their home. Okay. Hours later, a telephone line outside of their home was cut, and prosecutors asserted that Christopher Porco had disabled the alarm and later cut the phone line to make the invasion of his parents' home appear to be a burglary. Great. Um, During their investigation, it was revealed to prosecutors that Christopher posed as a Porco brother sending emails to the jilted customers explaining that his brother had died and was unable to deliver on the items. It's like, oh my god, I'm so sorry you bought that computer, but my brother actually is dead, so you don't get the computer. Bye. Okay, um, is your money back? No. My brother's dead. Don't ask me for that money back. We are grieving over here, over this complete loss. You bet your bottom dollar when we get my money back, sir. <laughs> Do you know we're only 13 minutes away from the White House right Joe Biden. He's listening to He's us right now. 15 minutes away. I love that. Joey, are you listening to Joe. us? Just come hang. We have we have champagne. Come hang with us. We won't tell anybody. No. Like, it'll be real hush-hush. Just bring you, like, the small motorcade. I'm sure no one will. <laughs> Down this construction road. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, has to, like, duck under the... 
<laughs> so, um, Christopher Porco told investigators that on the night of 2004, on the night of November 14th, 2004, mm-hmm. he had retired to, so he, he said he slept in the lounge at a dorm in yes. the University of Rochester. Okay, so here's what they said in the movie, and I believe that this is probably real because no one else outside of Greek life would ever make this up. He basically, he was a SIGAP, and according to him, they'd had a advisor. Okay. Come say, like, a chapter consultant, which is, like, a national advisor. Right. And so whenever that happens, somebody has to give up their room for them to stay there. So he says he gave up his and he so went he and said slept he gave on a couch in a dorm. And stayed in the, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I see. Thank you. Um, so Bethlehem Detectives and... Um, Albany County District Attorney were steadfast, like, were, like, believed in their heart of hearts that Christopher did not sleep on that couch, that he drove more than three hours to Albany in the early hours of November 15th to murder his parents. Yes. Because he did. Right. So, Marshall Gokey, who is, who was a neighbor of theirs, told investigators that shortly after the murder, um, at a... He spotted a yellow Jeep Wrangler in the Porco's driveway, and he just had assumed that Chris was home for the weekend, or like for a few days. Chris was home. Uh-huh. So Not investi- for a few days. For a few hours. <laughs> Investigators also contacted the New York State toll booth collectors, um, who reported that they recalled seeing a Jeep Wrangler matching the description passing through their station right. around that time of night. And just to point out, because we all know eyewitness testimony is unreliable at best, they not only claimed to have seen it, they were able they to video back footage. this up yeah. but with video footage. It's black and white video footage, but right. it's a Jeep. Yeah, I mean. John Fallon, who was a toll collector at uh, on this route, recounted seeing a Wrangler, a yellow Wrangler with large tires at approximately 10.45 p.m. on November 14th. Karen Russell, who was a toll collector about 20 exits away, told investigators that she spotted a yellow Wrangler shortly before 2 a.m. and that she noticed it specifically because of its excessive excessive speed there you go upon entering the toll plaza listen you refilled my cup so I did four security cameras stationed at the University of Rochester recorded footage of a yellow Jeep Wrangler fitting the description of Porco's vehicle leaving the campus at 10.30 p.m. On November 14th and returning at 8.30 a.m. on November 15th. Wow. Okay. Um, so, Porco's employer was a veterinarian named John Kearney. And John Kearney is part of the inspiration of the Betsy DeVos character. Okay. Um, because he testified at court that Porco had been trained in cleaning up after animal surgeries. Yes. And that was the thing, like, throughout the movie, he was helping her. And she was like, you can leave, like, a little mess. And he's just like, oh. He's got a, a magic eraser. He's got, like, eraser. a magic eraser. <laughs> and he's like, you know, I guess that's blood peroxide. And he's like. <laughs> he spits on it once just for good measure. Yeah. No, he can't spit on it. That's DNA. Right. So, um, after the trial, Jurors commented that this testimony helped to explain the fact that police did not find blood in Chris's vehicle. Right. Which is the biggest hanging thing that defense clung to. But I don't understand how that would make such a big deal. He 
grew up in that house. He lives in that house. There's blood all over the house. Right. He could have easily taken a shower. Right. And changed his clothes with stuff that was already there and left. And, right. You know, you tie your bloody clothes up in a garbage bag or whatever, toss it over wherever, and you're done. Right. So, um, in late November 2004, um, a grand jury was convened to hear testimony implicating Christopher Porco in the murder. Those who reported to have testified in this closed session hearing included Porco's friends from college, right. a university campus safety officer, and a former girlfriend. Okay. So that's like Rachel, mm-hmm. whoever the campus officer. Okay. Um, the grand jury would field more testimony before handing up an indictment against Christopher in November of 2005. So it took a year between the initial hearing and the final indictment. Right? I feel like this case is so cut and dry, and all he had was access to a lot of money and a really good defense attorney. Well, the bright side is once the trial officially started, it lasted 21 days. Yeah, they were like, the jury literally went back and they were like, guilty? Yep, okay, let's go. Um, I have a dinner to get to tonight. The trial was moved to Orange County after a New York State Appeals Court ruled that a change of venue was necessary to make sure he had a fair trial. Complete aside, does every state have an Orange County? Does Texas? Yeah. Okay. We do. Texas does, California does, Florida does, now New York. Uh, Rhode Island, hit us up if you have an Orange County. I mean, just everyone, hit us up if you have an Orange County. I'm just curious. It seems like they're all over the place. Yeah, because the first time I read Orange County, like, I really did flip it to California. California, and yeah. I was like, this makes no sense, Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really bizarre. So, the judge who presided over the trial allowed only still cameras, no sound or video in the court, um, which is a rarity in New York State. Well, also, don't you know that we're all at home wanting to watch this trial? How dare you, right? sir? Um, New York State is one of the few states which still gives judges a lot of discretion over the recording of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, the judge did allow videotaping of the summations of the defense and prosecution. So like closing statements? Yes. Okay. And um, also the verdict was allowed to be videotaped. Like well, the Of course. The case against Porco received extensive coverage in... Um, local newspapers and TV outlets, and it was also the subject of a one-hour documentary on um, 48 Hours entitled Memory of Murder, and I did watch part of that as well to for my... It's really interesting. It is like, I, you know, I kind of wonder, and I need to go back and look, if ID did a See No Evil on this, because it's perfect for See No Evil. It sounds like it. Because it's all on camera. The uh-huh. whole thing is on camera, you fucking idiot. You're being recorded everywhere you go. What are y'all doing? Committing crimes. What is wrong with you? Right. Um, So the defense attorney, Terrence Kendlin, emphasized that Bethlehem Police Department had no physical evidence linking Christopher to the attack on his parents. Um, He also pointed out that no fingerprints were recovered from the axe found at the scene of the crime. And it's like... I don't know what point he thought he was trying to make because if no fingerprints were recovered, that means... That means it was cleaned up. Right. Right. He's like, oh, there's no fingerprints in his Jeep that he drives all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, thanks for... 
prosecution was probably like, thanks, man. That was now, nice. <laughs> I will say, this defense attorney does sound a little bit like us in this one statement that I grabbed. Oh, boy. Okay. So, in statements to the press and criminal proceedings, Kendlin suggested that Bethlehem the Police Department um, made Christopher's guilt this, like, foregone conclusion. Like, it was just, that was it. And, you know? but, but that is something that they do often. It's something uh-huh. that they shouldn't do. And Christopher no, shouldn't agreed. be an exception to that because he's guilty. Right. So, during his opening remarks to jurors on June 27, 2006... He described Bethlehem Police Department as unfamiliar with serious crime investigation. He said that they were a department that, quote, chases skateboarders away from the 7-Eleven. This is not the FBI. And that's some bullshit that we would say when we are hating on cops, but not in a criminal trial. And I still, I stand to that point that they should have investigated all avenues because that's how you decide... This person definitively didn't do it. This scenario is definitively wrong. Right. This person did do it. And you can go to court and be like, well, by process of elimination, it wasn't this person, this person, or this person, and we have all this evidence. Right. Well, that's okay, because Kinlan's co-counsel, so his his defense attorney's co-counsel oh, God. was um, his defense attorney's wife, Laurie Shanks. And she says that police just straight up overlooked that Peter's death was probably the result of retaliation against his uncle, Frank Porco. Uh-huh. Husband, wife, defense team. What? And I cannot stress this enough. The fuck? Oh, let's keep going. Because he... She said that Frank, and I mean, there is truth to this. Frank Porco, Christopher's uncle, Mm -hmm. was a captain in the Bonanno crime family in New York City. Okay. And Frank had served two years in prison for loan sharking and extortion. Okay. But Shanks then said to the jury in a transcript, like in the court, that he'd been indicted, indicted for his involvement in a murder? Even though there had been no murder he'd been involved in? There hadn't he was been the no money murder? There hadn't been no murder. Showing. Um, well, uh, and I just want to know, um, I've watched a lot of mob stories, just a ton of them, and I've never seen them go after their random brother and not the person that sold them out. Right. Um, Shanks noted that Frank's name within the mob was... The fireman, and that he could have something to do with the type of murder weapon found because he had served for the New York City Fire Department. Because so he just carries an just, axe? You know, that's just, just like with him? Every murderer is just on the nose about the way they kill people. Well, and also, I mean, so every like, fireman that I've ever known just carries an axe. Right. Just the, carries it with them at all times, like just swings it around. Well, that's why your name in the Lifetime Sentence Mafia is the Sassy She Demon. And everyone who's been murdered was just because of your straight-up sass. That's true. You know, it's just everyone has to kill... Petty Paul kills people by just being fucking petty. It's true. That's how murders work. Yeah, it is true. Yeah. (laughs) Listen, if it was possible to sass someone to death, I would be able to do it. (laughs) I I hate hate to be able to see the end of the sass. sass. Like, Like, it it makes makes me feel bad. bad. Aw, sorry. (laughs) So the um, 
The Porco trial began June 27, 2006, and on August 2, 2006, the prosecution completed its case against Porco. So the defense had their turn, and it was much briefer. Sure. On the morning of August 10th, the jury began deliberations, and later that day, he was found guilty of second-degree murder and attempted murder. Great. So on December 12th, 2006, Judge Jeffrey Berry sentenced Porco to 50 years to life on each count, totaling a minimum of 50 years in prison. Um, and Judge Barry was quoted as saying, quote, I fear very much what happened in the early morning hours of November, November 15th is something that could happen again. Um, so Porco will not be eligible for parole until December 2052. This case, I, this case was shown in an episode of Forensic Files. In 2006, it was the subject of a 48 Hours. And then Lifetime aired The Romeo Killer, The Chris Porco Story. Mm-hmm. For which Chris Porco sued Lifetime in an attempt to block the release of the movie. And this lawsuit is still ongoing. Oh, honey, the movie got released a long time ago. <laughs> so his his murder trial lasted 21 days. His, um, his attempt to sue Lifetime has lasted eight years. Sure. I mean, that is a very valuable <laughs> use of your time, sir. Good so, job. Quote... It remains one of the most notorious crime stories in the history of Cap- of the capital region. Oh, I've already said this because that was moving it. Oh, here we go. Okay, this was their quote. Um, Porco's trial moved to Orange County and a rare change of venue lasted seven mm-hmm. weeks. Okay. Jurors took less than six hours to, convince Por- to convict Porco of the killing. By comparison, the legal battle over the Lifetime movie is now nearly eight years long and still going. I mean, the so, movie's been out for eight years, so um, I'm pretty sure it's time to just let it go, my friend. So even worse, Porco had to file this injunction in the court where his father worked. He had to ask them to give it. That's why this court, this case has lasted so long. That judge is like, oh, man, listen. He's like, it's 8.01, and this is going to take me at least eight hours, and I have to get home by five, so sorry. Right. So, uh, Porco is suing Lifetime under Section 51 of the state's civil rights law. Which <laughs> you pre- idiot. Which prevents <laughs> the use of a living person's name portrait or photo for purposes of advertising or trade um and there are exceptions in this for newsworthiness but porco contends that the lifetime movie was quote so infected with fiction dramatization or embellishment that it cannot be said to fulfill the purpose of newsworthiness it is literally in (laughs) the (laughs) description before you watch the movie that this is based on on real events, but people like it's it's like so, any resemblance to actual events is like completely. So that is Lifetime's lawyer's defense, by <laughs> the way, and I'm gonna get to that in a second. But That's I great. love that you just like went to the thing that pulls everything apart. Look, I work in insurance. Don't worry, I can uh, find the thing that pulls your thing apart. So Porco filed this case in 2013 to get an injunction to stop a quote substantially fictionalized movie. Mm-hmm. State Supreme Court Justice Robert Mueller granted it. Wait. Is it the same? Mueller? Mueller, thank you. Is it the same guy? The State Supreme Court Justice? That, like, was it all in the Trump 
Yeah. So it is the same guy. Yeah. So now presiding. Holy shit! Now presiding Justice Elizabeth Gary allowed the movie to air and sent the case back to Mueller, who's dismissed it. Is Mueller allowed to? Isn't he in prison, or did he get pardoned? I don't remember. I don't know. Something happened. The third department then reversed that ruling, finding that there were issues to still be addressed. A second complaint was filed. Joan Porco was then added to the lawsuit. The case was most recently before State Supreme Court Justice Mark Powers, who rejected Lifetime's motion to dismiss the case, but he also dismissed Porco's motion to rule in his favor. And I just love the audacity of submitting a motion to just take my side. (laughs) Um, Judge, we're here today because I'd like you to just take my side. I'd like you to just do what I want you to do. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to address the court today. That's all I had to say. Bye. So in his January 29th of this year filing, Mm -hmm. um, Porco's attorney argued that Lifetime, quote, paid no attention and made no effort to investigate the truth or falsity of the movie. Instead, from the beginning of its work on the movie to its premiere on TV, it sought to make the movie an emotional Romeo sexy Lifetime movie. And I didn't watch it. Was it that sexy? It was the opposite of sexy. Also, to make it an emotional Romeo sexy lifetime. Is Romeo an adjective? Did I miss that? Apparently. Okay. Or is a verb? <laughs> is Romeo a verb? I'm going to Romeo you real hard. Please don't. <laughs> Sarah! <laughs> I'm scared. So... Pierce claims that 80% of the... Uh, Pierce is his attorney. Sure. Claims that 80% of the depictions of Porco and his mother in the film were pure fiction. The attorney then went on to include these emails from within Lifetime that made me laugh. Oh, God. So these are direct quotes from the emails sent in Lifetime. Oh, hit me. I can't wait. Maybe we show what a Romeo Chris Porco was by intercutting interviews with his still smitten ex-girlfriends who still believe him innocent. Um, this was an email sent on May 18th, 2012. Okay, but that's what they did. Uh, yes. So he apparently, they're claiming he was not as much of a player as this movie made him out to be. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second. But first of all, can we not say a Romeo? Because the thing yeah, about... That's gross. First of all, the thing about Romeo and Juliet is they were 13. Yep. Or like 15, but, but I'm pretty sure it was 13. Um, second of all, he didn't love, like, everyone. He fell in love with Juliet. Right. Third of all, it wasn't love, it was lust. Fourth of all, they killed themselves. Fifth of all, Romeo and Juliet's not an icon of true love. Let's find a new way to describe it. I just want to reiterate that Shakespeare is the lowest form of yes. literary enjoyment. Yes. Sorry, not sorry. Go for some Bradbury. Go for any. Go for anything. Not Proust. We, you can also skip Proust. Yeah, but like, I like more like modern classics. I know. Like Toni Morrison. I love yeah. Toni Morrison. Yeah. Um, so a June 15th, 2012 email said that the first act was a little dry, adding, quote, need some emotional juice beyond the murder. Would love to work in Chris's Romeo side into act one, juggling multiple girls in a charming roguish way. And as the film progresses, Chris would juggle his romances in a more cocky asshole, self-centered way. 
Okay. That same day, another email said, more and more I want to call this Romeo Killer, the Chris Porco story. What you say? What you say? <laughs> That's what it said. Mm, what you say? <laughs> Who is writing these emails? An email on August 14th, 2012 stated, quote, I definitely, I feel it's definitely a Lifetime movie now and we have a chilling lead character. Okay, but you do. Right. You do. So Lifetime and their attorneys countered that Porco has no claim under Section 51 and that if he did, it would prohibit the First Amendment. Like, it would be prohibited under the First Amendment. What? Because they're reporting a news story is what they're saying. So you can't put an injunction to make me stop this movie because we're telling the news. No, but I still feel like that disclaimer they put at the top of every movie... That's coming. ...very much fits. Okay. That's coming. So in a September 30th brief, um, one of their attorneys said that Romeo Killer contained many true facts. The makeup of the Porco family, the location of the crime, the it manner in which the crime so was carried out. So many true facts. <laughs> so many. The details of the investigation, specific statements Chris, made, Chris and others made, the lack of physical evidence, Chris Porco's thefts, Peter Porco's anger over his son's handling of finances, Chris Porco's high credit card balances, Joan Porco's lack of memory about the night, her attesting to her son's innocence, and the arguments at a trial at trial by Albany County prosecutors and the defense attorneys. So all of that were portrayed accurately. Right. And then he defended the portrayal of Chris Porco, the Romeo, it says in quotes. The objections to Porco's portrayal as a ladies' man are misguided, Schultz stated in a brief file December 23rd. He argued that scenes showing Porco as a Romeo, quote, reflect a point of view adopted in the film that Porco had a manipulative personality and used women to get, to help him get what he wanted. Okay. And then the attorney went on to say that the film was not presented as gospel. Quote, narrative devices, including simulated dialogue, composite characters, and a telescoping of events are fully capable of portraying the essence of fact even if they are not the literal truth. The film makes explicit that it is not a true-to-life portrayal of the events depicted. Sure. Um, it does, and it does. The closing credits, he went on to note, include a display that says, quote, while this film is a dramatization based on a true story, some names have been changed, some characters are composites, and certain other characters and events have been fictionalized. Mm-hmm. But this is the thing they put before everything. Yeah. Like, this is the thing they put before the Simone Biles movie, which was based on a on an autobiography. Like, Yeah. So, that is still ongoing, and I'm curious to see how long this judge drags it out. Like, Aww, man. sweetie, you're going to move. This, the judge is like, you know, who could have who could have solved all this faster? My predecessor. Yeah. Man, if Judge Porco were still here, I bet he could have done this so quickly. So quickly. (laughs) But he was like attacked in his home and murdered with an axe. That's weird. I wonder who did that to him. Certainly not the person filing this. Oh, wait. Oh, awkward. I didn't know you were sitting here. My bad. Sorry, Christopher. Go back to prison. Have we just drank two bottles of Uh bubbly during this one recording? Uh Uh-huh. It's fine. I drink most of it. That would explain why I said expeding earlier or whatever. Expensive seed. (laughs) 
All right. Well, Erin, I'm so glad we did this in person this week. Yes, me too. And we're going to be back for more in-person stuff. Yes, absolutely. We're both going to do a Patreon. And then we are going to have like you, me, and Franny. And maybe some other special guests. That would be really nice. Talk about true crime and Talk stuff. Talk about true crime. And it'll probably be an extended episode because we, once we get going, we don't shut up very 100%. easily. 100%. Absolutely <laughs> true. Um, well, if you want more Lifetime Sentence... You can find us on Instagram at Lifetime Sentence, mm-hmm. on Twitter at Life Sentence Pod, at Facebook.com slash Lifetime Sentence, mm-hmm. on TikTok at Lifetime Sentence. Shoot us an email at podcast at Lifetime Sentence.com. Find episode notes and merch at Lifetime Sentence.com. Mm-hmm. And join us on Patreon for more content at Patreon.com slash Lifetime Sentence. Yes. Please, like we have, ha- we're having so much fun on the Patreon, and I guarantee you, we're gonna do some weird shit while we're here for oh, the 1, Patreon. <laughs> and oh. if you haven't joined our Discord, you probably need to because we're gonna be sending, we're gonna be spamming our Discord with all of our picks. Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah, um, and you can find the link to that on our Twitter in a pinned post and on our Facebook at a in a pinned post. Yes. Join it. It's fun. We're, we had some new people join this week, and it's like already picking up, and it's been so much fun. I, I love know. It. I love chatting and hanging out with I other do. people. It's so much fun. And I just, I know that we're still a small community, but I love our community. They are so supportive, and they are lovely people. Yes. And You're the best people. Yes. We love you so much. Um, and because we love you, we want you to stay healthy, so don't forget to eat your vegetables. Charge your phone and wear a mask. Amen. (laughs) Bye. Bye.